Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show at the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm John Zipper, the club's vice president of media and editorial. Now, we hope you are staying safe and are well wherever you are. We look forward to seeing you in person again one day at the Commonwealth Club's headquarters in San Francisco when it is safe to do so. Until that happens, we are doing all of our programming online. This is the latest in more than 430 online programs the club has produced during the pandemic. You can find all of our upcoming programs, as well as video and podcasts from our past events at commonwealthclub.org. Now, if you're watching us live on YouTube, use that chat box there on the screen to submit questions for our panelists today. I'll be back later in the program to share some of those questions with our esteemed panel. Now I want to introduce Michelle Miao, the producer and the host of The Michelle Miao Show and a member of the Commonwealth Club's Board of Governors. Good to see you again, Michelle. Thank you so much, John, and thanks to the Commonwealth Club for providing the platform and the space for us to have these important conversations. Before we begin the program, I wanted to share a little bit of personal news. Back in December, and in just a, less than a week, I had experienced a pretty severe and extreme episode of alopecia areata. And so what that means is I lost a majority of my hair. So for today's program, I thought it'd be a perfect opportunity to share with you and channel some of Representative Ayanna Presley's courage and uh, come out and share this liberating moment with these this awesome panel of women in which I know that I'm no less of a woman and in fact, more of a woman and happy, happy to, to be all that I am. So here I am. This is me, as is Michelle Miao. <laughs> Our panel today, I'm very proud and honored to introduce to you a, a special Women's History Month program right here. We've got the Honorable Malia Cohen, who's a member of the California State Board of Equalization and also a former member of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Uh, we also have the Honorable Fiona, Fiona Ma, who's a CPA and also a treasurer, a Cal state of California treasurer and also a former member of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, and Stephanie Romeliotis, I think I said it right. Uh, awesome. Thank you, Stephanie, who's the founder and CEO of SGR Consulting and also served as the Northwestern Finance Director for Hillary Clinton's 2008 presidential campaign. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for being here with me. And thank you for sharing this moment with me of uh, another coming out <laughs> experience. Um. I think a good place to start, you know, so much has happened. And while we are recognizing that it's Women's History Month, I want to begin with Fiona and give space for reflection of this this week's tragedy, the mass shooting of the Asian massage centers that resulted in the killing of Asian women and the extreme increase in anti-Asian violence. And so, Fiona. Yeah, so, so thank you, Michelle, and thank you, ladies. Great to see my good friends, and thank you to the Commonwealth Club for having us. Uh, yeah, the uh, incidences that happened two days ago um, and other incidences around San Francisco, the Bay Area of Asian Americans being attacked um, just because of how we look um, is, is a travesty. Um, it's upsetting. You know, my parents were both born in China and having the former president, um, you know, stir up uh, the controversy and scapegoat um, the Asian American community is, is not helpful in terms of bringing us all together and healing, especially getting us out of this pandemic. So just like every other community that gets uh, scapegoated, we just need to speak out and stand up and uh, band together, especially here in California. Uh, when one of us is attacked, all of us is, and, um, you know, whether it was, you know, last year with the Black Lives Matters, we all got out there and, you know, supporting uh, our African-American brothers and sisters. Uh, we just have to stay vigilant uh, to this type of crimes that are out there and people who are preying on us and they need to be convicted. Uh, we need strong law enforcement, you know, good police officers and DAs that are going to go after this because if uh, people are not uh, held accountable, then it will continue, uh, whatever the crime is in, in every community. So um, thank you all for standing uh, with our community. I appreciate your texts and emails and your phone calls. 
That's right, Fiona. The uh, cross-community solidarity is extremely important. And so if uh, Malia or Stephanie would like to add to that, feel free to do so. I'd love to jump in. I have many thoughts about um, what I'm seeing on television transpiring. Um, to the Commonwealth Club, thank you again for bringing us together and giving us a safe space to share not only our, our ideas, but also um, to in innovate and create new ideas. So thank you very much. And Miss Meow, of course, you're amazing. Um, you know, there are, the number that I saw last yesterday was 3,800 incidents of violence um, directed towards Asian Americans last year in 2020, up uh, almost by a thousand percent in the previous year, a thousand percent, an increase. I mean, it's just amazing and staggering and shocking. Yesterday, uh, local news posted a um, video of a woman in Chinatown um, who was assaulted, but then turned around and beat her assailant. And what struck me in my heart was to hear her wailing and to hear her crying and to know that this woman is someone's grandmother. We are all grandchildren. We all have a grandmother. And to hear her wailing, it just pierced my heart. And I um, want to affirm that I am standing in solidarity with the Asian API community. Um, and we will work together through allyship and understanding and through healing to, uh, to get through this. Well, first of all, I want to say what happened on uh, Tuesday was horrific. Uh, you know, I, I think that we should name it and we should call it what it is. And, you know, that's a continuation of racism and misogyny and xenophobia. Um, I think we lost Malia. So if you'd like me to pause, but, you know, and I, and with, you know, knowing my own privilege as being, you know, a white female on this panel, I do want to say that, you know, I think this is white terrorism. And I think it's something that is part of, um, has been there for centuries in the beginning of, you know, this country and it's, you know, embedded in the United States of America, but it also, as we know, white supremacy really grew during the Trump administration. And I, I think now that president Trump is gone and, you know, we all are trying to figure out how to heal and move forward. We're also trying to clean up the mess that he created and, this is part of it, right? I mean, this is part of acknowledging that white supremacy is on the rise, that uh, prejudice, racism, these things are on the rise and, and that we have to, you know, we have to do better. We have to make change. And I know just in, you know, in my own privilege, I, I would say that I'm trying to learn more about what it means to be an ally even better what it means to be an accomplice or even more what it means to be a co-conspirator to be able to use my privilege to make this country better for everybody um, and for the most vulnerable and for my friends in the API community and all people of color. So, uh, you know, that's really what I think a lot about is, um, is that this is white terrorism and it needs to stop. Mm. Thank you so much for that, Stephanie. And, and again, as soon as uh, Malia is able to rejoin us, we'll have her finish her thoughts. Um, speaking about, you know, how a leader, how someone at the highest position of power in this country could steer a conversation or steer attitudes or an impact or affect us in, in a particular way, uh, we do have a new administration and um, very excited, you know, that our vice president is Vice President Harris, who's made history. And, you know, so why don't we start with how far we've come and, and you know, just what this means. I know that when we say it, you know, she's the first, not only the first female vice president, but also first African-American, first South Asian. I mean, all these big firsts, um, you know, for you as a woman, you know, what, what did that mean to you and how far have we come in your opinion? We'll start with Stephanie. Well, it, it meant everything to me. Um, I have been uh, involved in campaign life for 21 years. Uh, and, um, you know, like our state treasurer, it's, you know, it started here in San Francisco. 
And I am, I am so proud of San Francisco and I'm proud of California. Um, you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I, I think that we um, do provide the springboard uh, to, you know, basically help rising political stars. I mean, we have Speaker Nancy Pelosi, we have Vice President Kamala Harris, and um, representation matters. Our progressive values matter. And now we have two women from, from San Francisco Bay Area who are leading our country. Um, and I'm, and I'm, I'm super proud. Fiona? Yeah, so I got involved in politics about 25 years ago uh, in 1994 when I was president of the Asian Business Association. And then I got a job in 1995 working for John Burton. And that's how long I've known Kamala Harris. Uh, we were uh, very active in the women's community. Uh, we sat on all the boards. We would attend rallies to support, uh, you know, women who uh, were uh, battered, um, killed by their survivors. And when I got elected to the Board of Supervisors in 2002, uh, Kamala was with me. And then she ran the next year for San Francisco District Attorney, and I was with her. Uh, and so it is like seeing my sister um, rise uh, and advance. And I didn't think I would ever see a woman president in my lifetime. Um, no matter how progressive we are here in the United States or California, I still did not see that in the cards because I know how hard it is to run for office. And Stephanie can attest uh, to that as well, Malia and myself. Um, that it is not easy for women because we don't have uh, the financial resources a lot of times. Uh, we don't have the same network, uh, the good old boys network of, of, of people who um, have money and, you know, continue to support each other so that they all uh, continue to advance together. Uh, being a politician and a, a woman of color in California is still not an easy task. And so seeing my sister Kamala as vice president and seeing her in the news or in the newspaper every day just makes me really, really proud. And it gives me uh, renewed hope that I will see a woman president uh, in my lifetime. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. So, yeah, when will we see a woman president of the United States? It sounds like very soon. Let's talk about, you know, winning. So both of you know and have experienced, you know, winning campaigns or, or winning in general or at least being successful um, in, in, in a position of leadership. What does it take, you know, at, for a woman, what does it take to win? Stephanie? Well, I, I come from it, you know, from a different perspective. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not an elected, you know, I'm, I'm on the backside as an, as an operative. But, you know, I think what it takes to win is, um, you know, a smart team, a hardworking team, a team that shares in your same value system, a team that um, works as hard as the candidate, a, a team that prepares their candidate and is honest with their candidate and isn't afraid to push back on their candidate. Um, and I think for women, especially, uh, it is, you know, women that are, are not afraid to raise the funding needed, not afraid to um, ask the hard questions. Uh, there's Malia. Yay. <laughs> winning, winning. I'm going to let Fiona, you know, answer this as, and, and Malia as electeds, but I will, I will say this from the operative side of things. Um, I, I sometimes find that winning is an interesting concept because obviously we, we run for office and it is about winning, but sometimes it's in the loss, you know, it's like, it's like a Lotus. Sometimes it's in the loss that you actually get a true sense of yourself and the potential that comes next. Um, and so, you know, I think that we can't be afraid of the loss either. Um, of course, it always feels much better to win. And I would want these two women who are running to keep winning. Um, but I would also go back to your original question about or statement about, you know, when will we see a woman president? I mean, when will we see a woman governor of the state of California? Right. I mean, we've only Ooh. had. Right, Fiona. We've only had a woman be mayor of San Francisco twice at the loss 
you know, literally the death of a man. So, you know, we have a lot of work to do. And so, of course, winning is really important. But as somebody who's on the backside of those campaigns, it's about building robust campaigns um, and supporting dynamic women like these two women um, that can win. Maria, we'll go to you and uh, to finish your thoughts on the the first question we were talking about, <laughs> cross-community solidarity and the rise in anti, anti-Asian anti violence and what has happened in Atlanta. But to follow up on that, and you can answer this question too, we also talked about how far we've come with the election of Vice President Harris and how many women now are elected leaders and what it takes to win. What does it take to win? I think it takes a lot of fortitude. It takes a lot of discipline. And to what Stephanie was saying is you, we, we need an opportunity. And unfortunately, opportunity has been born out of death. What a horrible connotation to know that San Francisco's two women that have been elected have been literally born, this opportunity born out of the death and the untimely death. Um, in Moscone, is, uh, it, it's just, it's, 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 it's a day of the past and we need to look forward and we need to be very smart and diligent. Um, there's lots of conversations around what does it take to, to get into office and there's training, there's Emerge California, there's um, um, organizations as well as across the United States that are educating and training women to run for office, paying attention to the nuts and bolts of putting together a campaign. Uh, I myself like to win. And like everyone on this panel, we are all winners, and I would bet that we are overachievers, and we work really hard, and we are always willing to do and go beyond just a little bit more than our competition. I um, also want to acknowledge the fact that we must uplift. We must uplift and bring women along. I want to acknowledge my political godmother, Fiona Ma, who has uplifted me from day one when we met back in the day when she was on the board of supervisors a long time ago. And I'm very grateful. She has brought me into the fold. She has taught me how to win. She has taught me how to fundraise. And she has taught me to be really strong um, and to push through my fear. And that fear, that voices that we hear in our head, that is what debilitates um people, but I would say specifically women. It may keep a woman from starting a business like Stephanie has done, keep a woman from not running for office, keep a woman from not pursuing um, hosting a show such as what you're doing, Michelle. So there is a lot of um, lessons to be learned from women like Diane Feinstein, who frankly did it when there weren't organizations around, like Kamala Harris, who did it when there weren't organizations around. Same with Nancy Pelosi. I mean, these women have uh, achieved so much and they are opening the door for other women and members of communities of color to come to the table and they realize that their strength and influence is enhanced. It's bolstered when there are more at the table, not less. So I would just, I would just jump in that when I was thinking about running for office uh, back in 1994, 1995, um, there were no programs out there. Emerge actually started in my office with Andrea Steele, uh, since I was the only second woman on the Board of Supervisors uh, back in 2002 with one of uh, Malia's uh, predecessors, Sophie Maxwell. And that's when Andrea said, how come there's not more women? And I said, it's really hard for women. Like we've had to just learn from experience, right? Hard knocks and Thank God I had a job with John Burton, one of the best, that I was able to see uh, what it takes to uh, get elected to office and to be uh, successful. But one thing I remember is when John Burton got termed out, normally he would have a birthday party every year in December, mid-December. And when he got termed out in November, like nobody came to his birthday party, okay? And that was a very humbling experience because for so many years, he's been helping so many people in the state of California. Yet, because he was out of office, you know, the lobbyists didn't have money for him, right, to come to his birthday. So that lesson has stuck in my mind uh, that we need to be humble. Uh, number two, I always look for candidates who have it in their belly, that are competitive, like the Malia Cones, that want to do it, not because other people are pushing them to do it, but because they have something they want to get accomplished, some mission, some platform. And regardless, 
uh, the ups and downs, because you know, Malia, it is very, very early um, when you're the candidate. And many times, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, you're up thinking about, oh my God, I forgot to call this person. I forgot to email this person. You know, your fundraisers like Stephanie are going, you didn't raise enough money. You got to go raise money if you want to put out a mailer because they're attacking you. So just has to be within yourself and you have to be competitive. Um, if you're not a competitive spirit, uh, this business is is really going to be difficult for you. And a whole lot of grit, which is yeah. what you both have. A whole lot of grit. Yeah. I mean, you know, I also want to say um, in the world, we, we talk oftentimes about women that are in the elected position, but we don't really spend a lot of time talking about the consultants. Now, the consultant world is very male-dominated, but the fundraising world correct me if I'm wrong, Stephanie, is very much dominated by women. And when it comes to the direction and to the, and to the guidance, people always yield um, to the man um, that it's at the table. So when we're talking about female leadership and female empowerment, it's not just about the elected and the person occupying the seat. I'm talking about pollsters. I'm talking about general consultants. I'm talking about fundraisers. There are opportunities um, across the board for women to be in this space that we're in. We're talking about policy think tank uh, leaders. Uh, so there is a lot of room and a lot of work for all of us to do uh, today, starting today. Part of a, a question that I have later down the line, um, but a great segue to this next question. I mean, we talk about the wins. We talk about how much uh, progress we have made. And I say we as, as women, um, and that includes LGBTQ rights in this conversation as well. Uh, but my next question has to do with you know, the very specific nuances of what running a campaign or running uh, as a, an elected leader, doing something where you're going to be a decision maker and what roadblocks or objections might you have? And, and it could be roadblocks and objections for even yourself. Like, for example, for me, when I lost my hair, the first thing I thought was, well, what am I going to say? How am I going to present myself? Are people going to get it that I do identify as a woman? I just have no hair. And I had all this, you know, connection to my hair. Uh, and I can't believe back then that was a roadblock. That was a couple months ago. But personally, it was for me. And so I'd love to share with our audience today kind of, you know, those specific nuances running as a woman um, and what it means to you and kind of what your roadblocks were. We'll start with uh, Malia. Sure. Um, thank you. When I when I when I think about your remarks, uh, Michelle, I'm thinking about the India Ari song "I Am Not My Hair," and um, and hair has a is is also deeply connected in the African American community to power, political power, political strength. You might remember Holly Mitchell just passed last year the uh, Crown Act, where African American people were penalized for wearing their hair naturally the way it grows out of its uh, out of our scalp. So I can connect with you about that identity and I'm glad to see that you've pushed through that um, that crisis. And so to answer your question specifically, I'd say we as women have an opportunity to always be redefining what it means to be a woman. So Aniana Presley has done a fantastic job of what it means to be a woman, a mother, a wife, and yes, dealing with alopecia, and yes, dealing with and, have, and wearing a bold, bald head. Now, Michelle, you might want to put a bold red lip or a fuchsia lip like, like Ayanna Presley and really make a statement, <laughs> but that might not be your style nonetheless. But my point is, is that we all have platforms and we need to be um, unapologetic about these platforms and step into the space and, and not play small and play big, fill the frame of your Zoom, right? Speak with your hands. You want to be um, present because we have young girls and young boys, but specifically young girls that are looking behind us over our shoulder, watching us do these Zooms, watching us on television, watching us speak in person, and they are wondering, can they do it? So we have to be that example, showing them that they can do it. And that's not to say that it's easy, because behind the scenes, it's very, it is difficult. It is um, many tears, <laughs> many, 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 um, <laughs> for me, I cry in the shower. <laughs> when, out of frustration and full disclosure, but it's important for us to be really honest 
with each other and put it, put that out there saying, yeah, there are going to be some very trying times. It's okay. You release and then you move forward. Stephanie. This is a big topic for me. Um, You know, I must say a couple of things. First of all, you know, when we talk about the roadblocks and the challenges, I think we should just, you know, sort of like I said earlier, like, let's name it. I want to name it. It's Mm -hmm. that men continue to be able to fail upward. And women don't get that same privilege. We just don't. Like, we constantly have to prove ourselves. We constantly have to, you know, ask for a seat at the table. I mean, we even saw it when Kamala Harris was running for for president and then, you know, was nominated to be the VP uh, nominee. It was, it was, she had to prove herself. Was she good enough? Um, We don't, we don't do that to men. And what's interesting about this is that, you know, when I got into politics, I was, you know, young and I wanted to help elect women to office and it was everything I wanted to do. And, and what I didn't understand about that process is that I would then become an entrepreneur that actually wanted to uh, train and mentor and give women a space in politics and in the philanthropic ecosystem where they could be inside my shop and they could feel safe. And so whether that meant they were in college and trying to find themselves or questioning whether they should go to law school or they didn't believe they were good enough for Stanford or Yale or or they wanted to have a baby, right? Like, th- like really helping them to feel that there was a safe place where, you know, they could grow. And then forever that there would be a political shop that would be there for them. So, you know, it's, it's definitely, um, I'm 44. I've been doing this now for 21 years. And I, I can say two more things um, that have come up in my life that have been the most challenging in business. And that's been around being a mom. You know, when I got pregnant and I was having, you know, my twins and we were launching Ed Lee's reelection campaign, there was a lot of talk about how, you know, we, they, they needed to hire somebody because I was having twins and you best believe it. Two weeks after I had those twins and was in the hospital for five days recovering from, you know, a bad pregnancy, I was at the table because I was not going to give up my right at that table that I had earned. Um, especially when such an amazing man like Mayor Ed Lee gave me my first chance to be at the table. So, you know, I think there are moments like this. And I think this crisis has been an example of what moms have had to endure. Um, and really, it, it goes, this, this, has, this is why representation matters. This is why Fiona and Malia matter in their seats, because they can relate to how women feel in, in their everyday life. Fiona. Okay, so first I have a couple of things uh, to say. Number one, uh, like Malia said and and Stephanie said, uh, most of the people in politics are men. Uh, Most of the consultants are men, um, the pollsters, et cetera, et cetera. And when I ran for my first office, uh, my consultants would say, oh, you need to cut your hair or your hair is too light, you should darken it. Uh, don't wear glasses. You need to wear turtlenecks. You need to wear pantsuits. Um, you know, your heels are the wrong uh, shape. Uh, and that's what they tell you. But they don't understand that when we are comfortable the way we look, what we wear, that's when our confidence comes up. And I, and I recognize that in my first race, right, where I let them all dictate what they wanted me to do and everything. Then for my second race for the assembly, again, I had consultants that said, oh, no, you got to change your website. You got to change your tagline. Um, We don't like the way you look. And I fired them, okay, because I was like, I am done, right? This is me and this is my life. And they will never work as hard. No one will work as hard except you. So we need to have that confidence and we need to push um, ahead. We need to push people aside if they're trying to bring us down and dictate to us what they think we should be doing. And as I get older, I'm 55 years of old um, of age right now. Um, I don't let a lot of people tell me what to do anymore. I will listen and I will thank them. But ultimately, I've gotten this far uh, on my own for the most part, right? Um, I've won all four of my elections 
And that's because I trust my gut and my instinct. And that's what we need to do more of. We can't let those voices of men usually tell us we can't do something or, you know, what are you doing? You know, it's not right. You know, you, you don't know what to say. You're like saying it wrong. Um, and so that's what we need to do. And then secondly, I'm happy about the pandemic because two of my staffers, nice, um, very, very bright, uh, qualified, experienced young ladies on my team have had babies and they have been able to spend the last year bonding with their babies. And I think we need to do more of that. We need to allow um, telework opportunities. I don't think we need to be in the office every day. And the last year has proven that we can still get our work done. Some may be not as efficient because they like to be at the office, but it can be done. And that's the only way we're going to be able to accommodate more women who want to have families, who have to take care of, you know, parents. I live with my dad. If it goes wrong, I'm the one that has to, uh, you know, to be there to take care of him, the dogs or whatever. Um, but that's how we're going to keep women in the workplace and, you know, and enable us to continue to, to move up the ladder without losing time and without losing that opportunity to be at the table because uh, we have other important things that are happening in our lives. Just a reminder, or if you're just joining us, uh, we are taking your questions. We want you to be engaged. Um, and so any of your questions can be passed on to our speakers. So we'll invite John Zipper back in just a few minutes, um, reminding you. So get your questions ready. So I've heard this a lot. The future is female. So the question is, you know, are women the future of politics? Malia. Yes. Next question. <laughs> Absolutely. I believe it. It's a, it's a yes period or a yes exclamation point. Yes, absolutely. Why you, you may ask, well, the women, I, I, we are, um, we are different from men. We think problems through differently. And this is backed up by science. There is data that out that will confirm what I'm the statements that I'm making. Um, not only, uh, do we approach problems differently? We are, we are more collaborative in that approach. Um, as I said earlier, we are about, um, not excluding people, but bringing people to the table, listening to different varying, um, viewpoints. And you heard from Fiona, you listen to the viewpoint, you can take it or you can leave it. Um, also I think that, um, we, um, we are raising children. We are raising the, still in many cases, the, the primary caregiver. So we have a lot of influence. We have a lot of influence on where and how we spend our household money. Um, now more than ever, women are educated, better educated than where my grandmother was. My grandmother was not college educated, but my mother was. Um, and I am and have an advanced degree. My daughter will have an advanced degree as, 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 as the world continues to turn, to turn on. Um, opportunities are opening up, quite frankly, due to legislation. Um, not only do we uh, pivot and stand on the shoulders of the civil rights movement, but we think about Hannah Beth Jackson, who passed legislation a few years ago that would require uh, companies to have women on their boards and allow them to serve, um, diversifying corporate boards, which have largely been held by men. Um, so that's another um, avenue that we are, we are moving in. When I think about um, uh, Joe Biden and the appointments that he has made alone to cabinet secretary positions, um, I look forward to seeing his uh, judges that get confirmed, um, his selection in Kamala Harris as the vice president. I mean, there are so many different examples of how we are seeing women manifest to uh, rising up and stepping into um, great roles of leadership. And what you're also seeing are that they are bringing other women with them. So yes, the future is female. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> no, anyone else want to add to that, Stephanie? I mean, yes, of course. Un unless there's yeah. more women in politics and at the table, it it'll become more and more difficult, I think, to define what empowerment actually means. I mean, I I think Joe Biden has. Um, how do I say this? Uh, I'm really proud of Joe Biden, right? I mean, this is a, you know, an older white straight male who I think is really trying to own the moment 
and empower as many women as possible uh, in January. And I think this is partially with probably Kamala Harris's influence, but in January, for the first time, a president created the White House Gender Policy Council. And, and that's tremendous because that it's that council that's actually right there with the president that is going to take a look at equity and is going to um, challenge the norms and the status quo. So, you know, these are the things that we need in politics. And so a- my answer is a- absolutely. And Fiona, I'll add a different spin to that. Um, and, you know, and I, I'm referring to the state of California, but I think mm-hmm. even for API women who are running for elected office, we're winning those campaigns. There's more API women who are running and winning, but very diverse, not necessarily all progressive and democratic. Many in Southern California, for example, are Republican and conservative. However, I do think that there is hope in the future for, you know, collaborations and bipartisan decision-making, decision-making, which may make it easier for us to move forward. Your thoughts? Yeah, so um, yes, uh, the API community is not uh, monolithic. Uh, We have many women who are now uh, running and winning that are Hmong, Cambodian, Thai, Korean, Filipina, um, East Indian, Chinese, Japanese. I mean, it runs the gamut. Uh, But I do agree that when women do run and finally decide to, uh, you know, uh, put their name on the ballot, uh, we do have... uh, great chance of winning because the electorate understands that we are doing this because we want to get things done. Uh, we are passionate about some cause and that we don't take running uh, for office lightly. It's not about um, our name in lights or helping our business grow or, you know, um, you know, making sure that, you know, we sell more real estate, right? or have more legal clients. I mean, that's not why women run for office. But I I do want to say, earlier today, uh, the uh, vice mayor of Redwood City, she called me and she said, Fiona, I'd like you to sign this equity endorsement pledge. Uh, Too many times when men jump into a race, uh, everybody endorses early, and then when women, people of color, uh, other other folks want to run, the race is almost is done because that male has secured all the endorsements, which I said, yes, that is true. Cause I know that there's a big seat in San Mateo and I know a guy has been calling me constantly like every two weeks. And I do know the other woman that's running who I've worked with in the past and she hasn't called me, but I know she's running. And I said, it's true. You know, we come to that decision later. Right. And so when, uh, Eleni and I got elected. Betty, Eleni, and I were on a panel together, and uh, Carla Marinucci said, "Okay, women. So your statewide elected officials, how many of you want to run for governor?" And Betty was the first one out that says, "I do," and everyone like applauded. And Carla said, "Well, how about you, Miss Ma?" And I looked and I said, "Sure, I'm in." And then we looked at Eleni, and Eleni goes, "Me too." So now, when we talk about running for governor, and that's in six years. They always mention Betty, Eleni, and myself. We said it early, right? We dared to say, this is our ambition. But as women, we need to put it out early. Otherwise, people say, well, you didn't tell me. I didn't know. You know, I, I endorsed some some other guy because I've known him for so long. Uh, but this is a double challenge for women is that uh, we want to be humble. We don't want to seem too ambitious. But Malia knows, right? We gotta put it out there. Malia, you know. We need to say what we want to do uh, early so that others uh, will know and they don't have to try to read our minds. Oh, it's already out there. She's already announced. (laughs) You're you're late, uh, Miss Meow. (laughs) You're going to catch up. but may I say something? Can I just put a finer point on what Fiona was saying? I think we need to teach our young children, particularly our daughters, that ambition ambition is not a dirty word and that it's okay to be ambitious and that you are still a woman and you can still be feminine and you can still be strong and you can still be um, um, uh, a loving all while being ambitious. It doesn't negate anything. It doesn't um, take away from anything. It only enhances uh, you as a being. Thank you. Thank you. 
I agree. And especially, you know, my upbringing, um, it was somewhat shameful to be loud or proud or out <laughs> and also to share your mind. Let's invite John Zipper back. Um, I know that he probably has a couple questions or so from our audience. And again, if you're just joining us, we are taking questions. We'd like for you to be engaged and you're, uh, you can ask your questions to any of our panelists. Hello again, everybody. Uh, the first question actually is for Fiona Ma, and the, the audience member asks, what are the most important things you learned from John Burton, I assume, political issues? Yeah, so a couple things. Number one, uh, John Burton always uh, taught us uh, that we need to be a voice for those who don't have a voice. Uh, number two, we need to do what we think is right. And number three, we need to stand up even if we're the only ones standing up. And I guess four, loyalty. He always said, darling, remember who brought you to the dance. And I'm very proud that 25 years later, people who supported me 25 years ago are still uh, active with me on the Moss Squad. So all the things that John taught me to heart. John Burton taught me how to throw a mean F-bomb. <laughs> And, and John Burton is the man that picked up the phone and yelled at another man when he was being verbally abusive to me. So he's also, you know, he's an amazing man. We're all Absolutely. very lucky to have known, to, to have worked with him and been a part of his life. He's a great ally. Great ally. Uh, our next question comes, actually, this is a question and, and a statement. It's quote, please explain how two women from San Francisco hold two of the top financial offices in the state of California. This is awesome, unquote. So either of you want to take that or both you? Well, I always say Malia probably can attest better than I. I can only stay on the San Francisco Board of Supervisors for four years. It was just way too much for me. Uh, I always say it's like the game show Survivor. Friends or enemies and everyone's trying to throw each other off the island for a million dollars. It is very, very serious. I only lasted four years. I don't think I could have lasted eight years or even been president of the board. But once you make it through the gauntlet, uh, it makes you stronger. And I was a much stronger candidate and an elected official uh, in my next role in the state assembly. You know, um, so I am on the State Board of Equalization, and my predecessor was Fiona Ma. And so there is a correlation between um, mentorship um, um, that helped guided my career, and, and which has brought me to where I am today. And I saw for that, I'm very grateful. She took time. She talked to me about the role. I was interested. I spent eight years on the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. And in, in, in that role, not only serving as president, but also serving um, as president of the Retirement Board, which is a um, which is the fund, um, which is a body that manages the assets in the fund for retired San Franciscan employees, also uh, chairing of the budget. So I have naturally gravitated towards um, a budget finance background. I don't know why, because I don't think I was that good in math, at least not in high school. But one thing that I have learned is, is that budgets are statements of policies. And if we really wanted to start to see some equity, we, that we needed to be equitable in how we are divvying up these public um, tax dollars. So I enjoy the space um, tremendously. And, uh, and I'm very grateful that um, Fiona uh, taught me. A number of questions uh, that are all kind of the, around the same thing. So I'll just put, put them together. And I want to ask all of you this, but we'll start with Stephanie. Um, what advice would you give young women who are interested in running for office? Where to start? How do they get their feet in the door? Well, first of all, um, I'm always available and my firm's available if they want to um, intern or they want to call my firm or email my firm or they can go to my website, um, and I'm sure we can provide this, you know, all this information uh, through uh, the Commonwealth Club. But um, you know, I we're we're here to help get women involved in politics, and I'm getting asked this question more and more. We cannot forget about Emerge California and Emerge America, um, and you know, Emerge was birthed in San Francisco, um, and you know, is literally been the training ground for many, many women that are being elected to office. And also, Emily's List. I mean, Emily's List is also an incredible organization. Um, but I really, 
you know, I think about this a lot. I think you just have to get involved. You have to volunteer for your local campaign, get on the phones, walk precincts. I mean, Fiona doesn't know this, but I think I was like really young. It was like 2000. You must have run for assembly in 2000 because I was I was on a city attorney's race. And I remember Fiona like would get up at like 430 in the morning and like walk the precincts. And and this is the kind of this is the way you get involved. And it's it's the good old saying, if you want to get involved in politics, you volunteer. And if you want to get a job in politics, you volunteer first. And if you want to run for politics, you still volunteer and you learn the ropes. I mean, this is a game of grit. And once you're you're in, people will bring you along. Um, and it's been a it's been an amazing road because people have brought me along. Women have brought me along. Good men have brought me along. So we will all do that for those that want to that want to get involved. Yeah, and I agree with Stephanie. Uh, I've had over a thousand interns come through my office. Uh, we take every intern, even now, uh, we are virtual, uh, but we do ask them to, you know, commit to a curriculum so that they're not just coming in one week and then they expect a letter from us, as, as some people do, uh, Malia, right, that come through. Uh, but interning is important. And then I would say get appointed to a local or a state board commission or authority. That's the best way to learn whether you have the stomach. Uh, for politics. Uh, you're also learning, you know, Robert's Rules of Order and um, the Brown Act and uh, all of the other things that are important uh, when you are um, going to continue and, and serve in public office. But uh, serving on uh, an appointed, I served on the Assessment Appeals Board as an alternate member, and I heard both individual or residential and commercial appeal cases. Uh, and then I started to look around at the elected officials and started thinking, I think I could do better than them. And that's where it starts. I think you have to get your foot in uh, the door. Oh, you know, I would say I started in the third grade. I ran for student. I went for a class president. Just start. You can start anywhere. Start in your church, start in your choir, start in your youth groups, start in your family, start organizing. I was organizing my uh, four younger sisters years ago. Uh, you don't need a platform. You don't, it, it's, 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 you just start, pick an issue, pick a candidate, pick something to, um, to, to volunteer on. And that's it. I, for me, it started with volunteering. Um, so that is, that is my, that is, that would be my advice. Stephanie behind you, we can of course see the, the signs of various campaigns. I assume you've worked on. Um, how do you think maybe in 10 or 20 years, Hillary Clinton's campaign will be seen in terms of, women getting into politics and achieving power. So glad you asked this. Um, I just want to say that when I think about women like Senator Feinstein and Secretary Clinton, I mean, these women, they were, they were almost like pioneers in politics for us. And um, they really were the ones that really broke through those million cracks through the glass ceiling, even though they didn't break through the glass ceiling. And I think, you know, now that we have our first female vice president, it's amazing. And I think we are starting to celebrate women. And I don't want people to forget Hillary Clinton because Hillary Clinton is, um, she is, she is one of the best that there is. I mean, she, she, she is a true American. She is a patriot. And when she is asked to step up for America, she does. Um, and, and that is why she ran in 2016. She was asked to run and she ran. And all of the things that she said post her election have actually been true. So uh -huh. um, I think Hillary Clinton is one of the greatest Americans um, that, that will be a part of our history books. And I think her campaign will be seen as something that, you know, it, it was, um, I think we took our foot off the gas a little bit. I think we got a little bit too comfortable in our progression and our democracy. And Donald Trump winning was a reminder that we can't take anything for granted. So, um, you know, I, that's, that's, it's, it's, it's a sensitive topic for me, but I am proud to have worked for Hillary Clinton and um, she's a true American. 
I think history will 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 uh, reflect on Hillary Clinton in a, in a um, favorable way. When I think about Hillary Clinton's, both her races brought to the forefront so many issues about gender, about stereotyping, about double standards, about when you are a woman and you're a candidate and you're a front runner, what that means. Do you remember in her first race when she was at a diner at a cafe and she got choked up? And they skewered her because she showed emotion. They also skewered her because they said she didn't show emotion. And Kim, um, Hillary took shit from what Bill Clinton did. Do you remember that? Monica Lewinsky and all that. And she stood, still stood there strong, stoic for her family. She raised her daughter. She is a grandmother. She um, got the nomination for the Democratic Party. Hillary is quite a phenomenal woman. Also, she has been big enough to admit the mistakes that she has made. I don't know a man that has ever done that. And she embraces women with open arms. I mean, she embraced Kamala Harris. She was thrilled for Kamala Harris. And she campaigned every day between August and November for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And And I think that says a lot for her character. And I, I'd just like to also add, I mean, I was a big fan of Hillary. I got involved in 1995 at the White House Conference on Small Business on, under President Bill Clinton and heard Hillary speak. And I was like in awe, you know, because she's such an amazing speaker. Uh, but it just showed uh, both of her races. She was the most qualified person to run for president of the United States that we have had in recent history, right? Being, you know, a lawyer in her own right, vice president, uh, I'm sorry, uh, um, uh, well, the the, um, first first lady in the White House actually seeing and knowing what the job entailed, uh, then got to be senator uh, of New York, got elected in her own right, and then Secretary of State, where she visited more countries than any Secretary of the State ever did. Yet, every time I would campaign for her, there were certain people that would say, well, we don't like her voice. Really, we don't like her voice? Oh, we don't like something about her husband. So there is this double standard. Uh, and I felt really bad that the most qualified woman, that's why I started with, I never thought I would see a woman president in my lifetime after going through both of Hillary's campaigns, that here it is, the most qualified, experienced person, woman, uh, to be in the White House still couldn't, um, you know, break that final, you know, glass ceiling. Now, all three of you, very accomplished in the political sphere. I'm surprised none of you have said that the way to get involved and to become a leader is to be a billionaire real estate developer. I <laughs> Probably an oversight, I don't know. Um, but one of the reactions we did see during the Trump administration was a, this huge increase of women, women of color, um, LGBTQ women who are running and winning, and even and not just in in blue states, but in some very red places as well. Um, but just sticking on Donald Trump, and uh, do you think Donald Trump and Trumpism and and his uh, what his pushing of a very old-fashioned chauvinist male uh, kind of narrative. Do you think that was a reaction to the growing power, or the success of that, I should say, was a reaction to this growing power of women we've seen over time? Or do you think that was just the, 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 this growing power coming up in, in, against what already was there, if I'm not being too vague? Yeah, and I, I would just say, like, women were progressing slowly, But after Trump got elected, the amount of women that came out for the Women's March and got involved in all these new type of campaigns, run to win, red, uh, you know, red to blue, all of these um, were women that had never gotten involved in politics before, but they felt the need to do it. And that really, I think, propelled more women to get involved and to run for office. And we have seen uh, records number records. Num- record number of women running for office all across the state in all different posi- uh, positions. Are there, this is a chance to shine the light at the now on some other women. Uh, are there some younger women on the way up that you see as potential rising stars that you'd like to mention and kind of shine the light on them here? Someone asked 
the other day and I said, I don't want to pick my favorite women. I've got women all over the state that I am mentoring and encouraging them to run. And I don't want to uh, pick certain ones and leave certain ones out. So you all know who you are, women, who I'm being encouraging and um, watching. You're right, Fiona. You're right. I, I, I'd like to say... Um, I'm really, really proud of some of the young women that I'm seeing rise um, as operatives in campaign politics. I think we're seeing more and more women have the opportunity to be campaign managers. My very close friend, I will name her because I'm godmother to her child and we've come up the ranks together, but my very close friend, Kristen Bertolina, has had a business um, in politics of fundraising for 25 years. And she is the campaign manager for Alex Padilla for U.S. Senate. And it is a big, it's big because to be able to move out of the fundraising lane and to be able to manage a campaign, especially a U.S. Senate campaign, it's a, it's a big deal. I mean, seeing Jen O'Malley Dillon be the campaign manager of the presidential campaign um, and now have such an important role in the White House. So I am super proud of... Um, women young and old that are leading our campaigns um, to help, you know, us push forward our progressive values and elect fabulous um, people to office. Uh, we kind of touched on on some of the, the, not all women running for office are necessarily Democrats. And of course, here in the Bay Area, it's it's oftentimes easy to think that, yes, these, these are going to be more progressive policies. But of course, there are so many very conservative uh uh, people in in politics who you know Marjorie Taylor Greene, Nikki Haley, Alabama's governor, South Dakota's governor, Christine Noem, and others. W what's your reaction when you see one of them win an election? Is it is it mixed? Is it no? They completely should have lost. Do they still advance some of the goals of getting women into politics? Any thoughts on that? Is yeah, I mean, I, I have a lot of friends uh, across the aisle, even in the legislature. Um, some of them, Asian women, have gotten elected to Congress this last time, and um, good for them. You know, they represent a certain constituent base, and they got elected because they know who their voters are. And we don't all have to agree on everything. And when we get together, uh, you know... Um, you know, young Kim and I, we like to go sing karaoke together. Uh, we don't have to talk about politics, but I'm proud that she's there in Congress as a Korean uh, American, uh, representing us as women, as an Asian American. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I don't think we should just demonize people because they're not a certain party or they don't um, have the same, you know, values as us. They also deserve to be respected because they got elected by their constituents. And John, I would also add that, again, statistically speaking, uh, the data is showing us is that although women, in this case, in this example, Republican women, um, they still actually have a higher um, penchant to work with other women uh, across the aisle. And so they are less party focused, but more focused on getting the job done. And, um, and I think that that is that is what inspires me um, to not be nervous or have any apprehension with working with someone across the aisle. I would, I would, um, I would, I would work with a, a woman across the aisle before I would work with a man across the aisle. And largely it has to do with just a different a style of how things are done. Again, more a collaborative report, uh, a collaborative approach. Okay. Um, then the last question, how important has the Me Too movement been in advancing the women's movement, particularly in politics? I think it's been actually a critical um, vehicle in advancing uh, the, the women um, because it's touched entertainment, it's touched law, it's touched not just politics and policy in the space or electoral politics, but it's really because women are operating and in, 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 in moving in so many different circles. Also, when I think about the Me Too movement, it also touches on the intersectionality um, uh, of the trans community which is often um, left out of the conversation. And uh, that is important to note because um, trans women in particular are really disproportionately targeted um, for not only violence, but also bias 
uh, um, abuse. So the Me Too movement has brought all of this forward. And it has also sent an important message to men that are abusive, that are using their power and influence and money and access to squelch the voice of other women. Um, and it, I'm grateful that courts are um, deciding on the side of the woman, of, the, of, the, of, 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 of affirming the victim. I am grateful to see in Senate confirmation hearings, you're hearing um, when people are saying time out to a, some kind of a sexual abuse, that there are voice that's given to um, uh, hearings. You think about uh, Governor Cuomo, what's happening in, La in New York currently. Uh, it's a little shocking because it's post the Me Too movement. You would think he'd have a, his act together. Uh, and would not behave that way. But hey, this is a teachable moment. And men need to learn that they are not going to belittle, they're not going to be raped, and they're not going to sexually harass women. And we are not going to lay, um, pardon the expression, lay down, but we're not going to take it anymore, um, that we are going to stand up and that um, we are going to continue to voice this. You think about what's happened to um, Bill Cosby, America's dad, now incarcerated. I mean, like, so there's, there is real power in that Me Too movement because the sad thing is, is that it has, every woman has at some point been harassed, have had an inappropriate comment thrown their way, been told to smile, um, have, 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 have been assaulted in some kind of way. And so I think that is something that you, that uniquely binds us together. And we have used that as a, as a calling and a rallying point and to harness that um, frustration and move it into a movement that's producing um, change that you're seeing on a daily basis. Stephanie, Fiona, any comment? Uh, I'll, I'll just say one of my clients is Futures Without Violence, uh, and it's run by Esta Solar, who actually way back when um, worked with, Senator, at the time, Senator Joe Biden, um, on the Violence Against Women's Act. And, um, you know, Esta is incredible. And she's she is a pioneer in the space. And I think what this Me Too uh, movement and moment did for abuse and domestic violence and sexual abuse and sexual harassment was it highlighted the behavior. It brought the behavior and what was happening at such a mass rate across the board. Um, it brought it into the light. And until we begin as a society to change behavior, we cannot reduce violence. So, you know, we have to pull back the layers and expose the truth um, if we intend to be a better society. So I, I do think that the Me Too movement was an, an important moment for this country. And now it's time for us to change our behaviors. Yeah, and then I would just like to also uh, echo um, what Malia and Stephanie said, that uh, it has created more awareness, uh, more confidence for uh, women to speak out, to come out, and to be believed. Because there's so many times that when women come out, um, people will say, oh, I don't believe that person, or they're just making it up, or they're, you know... Um, you know, disgruntled, but no, it is happening. And I will say one thing, um, my last two bills passed by Governor Brown uh, is allowing women who are convicted of life without parole another opportunity to have their cases heard uh, if they have experienced uh, battered women's syndrome. That was not a defense, you know, many years ago. And there's women that have been in jail 35, 45 years uh, the key thrown away, uh, never thinking that they were able to get out. I just went to a parole board hearing last week, and the two men that were hearing the cases, the commissioners, they were so compassionate. They were so nice, empathetic. Uh, they did everything they could to make uh, this woman feel comfortable. She had been denied eight times for parole. She is sick. She has had COVID twice. Uh, she needs to get out. She's served 35 years and they found her suitable for parole. And I do think um, a lot of men and the way they are thinking now and viewing uh, women, especially women uh, incarcerated, is because of the Me Too movement, um, because women have been speaking out and telling the truth about what has happened to them in the past. And, and John, I just wanna also say, it, 
it was Maya Angelou who said, each time a woman stands up for herself, she stands up for us all. And that's what this Me Too movement did. Women stood up for themselves and therefore they stood up for everyone. Thank you all. Back to you, Michelle. Well, I do have red lipstick here um, for, <laughs> you know, grab some just to channel some of uh, Congresswoman <laughs> Presley's. Um, no, I, what I meant to say was ne- next program, the next program, the next celebration of women in leadership, y'all will have to teach me how to put it on. <laughs> some key takeaways from our program today. Don't be ashamed to have aspira- uh, aspiration, right? And uh, Fiona Ma is running for governor. <laughs> in 2026 in 2026 is, is malia cohen running for treasurer then <laughs> i i i'm always encouraging malia to run i'm like malia run for controller betty's turned out <laughs> this is true she, she's definitely is con- in, uh, encouraging we 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 yeah, there's, there's a little foreshadow of what might come of uh, malia's next steps and uh, trans rights are women's rights. Uh-huh. Support your AAPI sisters and the AAPI community. Stand in solidarity with all our communities and go out there and, uh, and get to work and do something. I want to thank you all for joining us for our Women's History special. You all are incredible women. Thank you so much for being our inspiration and our courage at the same time. And thank you all for joining us this evening. Thank you to the Commonwealth Club for bringing us all together. And John, I leave you with the last words. Last words are just more thanks. Thank you, everybody. Stay safe and stay healthy. Have a good weekend.